And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Our series this month has been named after the song, Jesus Paid It All, All to Him I Owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Have we got it stuck in your head yet? We've sung it every Sunday, twice some Sundays. I've said it from the pulpit every week. I'm trying to get this song burned into our, our brains. The first Sunday in March, we meditated on the suffering servant predicted in Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid it all. And then last Sunday, we read about the fulfillment of that prophecy in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. We read about how our Lord Jesus was tortured, mocked, and killed for us with the dying cry, It is finished. Tetelestai. It is completed. Jesus paid it all. And we even thought for a while, what would it mean if Jesus' death was not sufficient to pay our full sin debt? What if Jesus only paid it some? We would still have unending work to do and an unending punishment to suffer. But our debt is paid in full. Jesus paid it all. Today I want us to go one step further. And think about how being freed from that debt frees us to live in a new way. Our title for today's message is Freed from Debt. If Jesus has paid it all, then we are free, scot-free. We're no longer under debt. We no longer have a sinful liability to our names. We are no longer in the hole. We're free. What's that mean? I only have two points to share this morning, but they're big ones. And the first point comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Would you pray with me? Oh, praise the One who paid our debt and raised our lives up from the dead. Oh, praise the One who paid our debt and raised our lives up from the dead. Praise You, Lord, for what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid it all. Help us to see what a difference that makes for our lives today and tomorrow and the next day and for all eternity. Help us to feel it in our bones, to believe it with all of our heart and to live out of this truth that we are freed from debt. Would you do that, Lord? We need your help to see it. We can't see it on our own. We shouldn't even try. Lord, we need You. Speak to our hearts through Your Word. We pray in, this, in, the, in the name of this One 
the one who paid our debt and raised our life up from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen. Here's point number one of two. I only have two points, but they're both big. We are freed from debt to live free from more debt. We are freed from debt to live free from more debt. Here's what I mean. By the way, did you catch what Bible passage Peter was referencing here? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Where's that from? That's Isaiah 53, isn't it? Peter has been riffing off of Isaiah 53 since verse 22 in this chapter. Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering unjustly. They have gotten a raw deal. They've gotten a beating when they've done something good instead of something bad. It's totally unjust what they're going through. And Peter is telling them to follow the example of our Lord when injustice comes. He's teaching them how to endure unfairness and inequity as as Christians. Verse 20. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Do you remember the old WWJD bracelets? That comes from this passage. And from the book In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. Right out of this passage. He left us an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. Isaiah 53, verse 9. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. We saw that last week, right? In John 19. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. And then our verse for today. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. What's that? That's Isaiah 53 again, isn't it? You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want you to see a few things from this passage. First, that it's Jesus that paid it all and nobody else. That's why Peter says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He Himself. Jesus paid it all. Nobody else did. I was talking to the teens at the FCA Bible Club on Thursday about this passage. And I emphasized that point. Jesus did not delegate this responsibility. Jesus didn't send Moses or Aaron or David or Isaiah or John the Baptist. Jesus didn't send an angel to take our place on the cross. Jesus did it Himself. This task was too much to assign to another person. No other person, no other entity in the universe could do what Jesus did. He had to do it Himself. He had to bear those sins. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Jesus paid it all. We couldn't do it. 
Notice how important are the pronouns here. Again, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Get any of those pronouns mixed up and the world crashes. We are freed from debt. That's what we've been celebrating this whole month. If you have trusted as Jesus as your Savior, you are freed from debt because He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Or as the hymn says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, freed from debt. Now, what difference does that make? Last week, we thought about what difference it would make if it wasn't true. What difference does it make that it is true? Where does Peter go with this? Look again at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that it's going somewhere so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Here's how I say it. We are freed from debt to live free from more debt. Last week, my friend Pastor Dan Ledford and his family were visiting us and worshipped with us down here last Sunday. And while I was preaching, I just... All of a sudden I had this idea and I gave the illustration of being freed from my school loans. Do you remember that from last week? Okay, some of you are paying attention. I, I was going along and all of a sudden I remembered this time when I was freed from my, my school loans. Somebody had given me a gift and I wrote a check to Sally Mae, right? And I sent it off and I didn't owe anything else. And oh, how good that felt. I could burn the paperwork now. I don't own Sally Mae one more red cent. Well, my friend Dan said to me after church, he said, that was really good. He says, and he remembered the same moment in his life of being freed from his school loans. And here was what his first thought was. You ready? I'm never going to borrow another dime again. Can you relate? Now that's financial debt. And it's not necessarily wrong to incur it. Okay, There's uses for debt. But what about sin debt? What about the hole we get ourselves into when we sin against God? Some people think that if they are once freed from debt, then they'll just run out and sin some more. Like we said last week and in Romans 6, why not sin all the more so that grace may abound? Hey, if God's forgiven sins, then it's free sin day. Go get yourself some. May it never be. Because that's not where Peter goes with it, is it? He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins. We're free from debt. To live free from more debt. We are freed so that we could stop sinning. So we could stop doing the things that offend God. Jesus' death wasn't just so that we could be forgiven. It was also so we could be empowered to repent. To die and to live. To die to sin and to live for righteousness. Those are powerful words. 
You know, that's what, a, that's what baptism is a picture of. Next week, Hunter and Aspen Galley are both going to be baptized. They're going to go down into the water. And that will be a picture of death, of burial, dying to sins. Jesus' death means the death of our sins. And when Hunter and Aspen come up out of the water, it'll be a picture of new life, of resurrection, living now for righteousness. What sins in your life need to die? What do you need to repent of? To live free from? The death of Jesus means that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. No longer enslaved. No longer do we have to live in sin. We can say no. We can resist gossip. We can resist pornography. We can resist hating our enemies. We can die to sexual immorality. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage. We can die to gluttony. We can die to greed. We can die to being anxious about the future. We can die to cussing and lying and boasting. We can die to getting drunk or stoned. We can die to taking the Lord's name in vain. We can die to envying what somebody else has. And not only can we die to these sins, but Jesus calls us to die for these sins. He died for them so that we can die to them. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins to live free from more death. What sins do you need to repent of? What sins are you holding on to? What sins are you hiding from others? Jesus is calling you to die to them. And more than that, to, verse 24, live for righteousness. That means that we are freed from debt to live free from more debt. Not just to not sin, but to live well. To live good. To live for righteousness. Jesus Himself bore our sins so that we could live righteously. So it's not just enough to resist gossip. We get to build others up with our words. It's not just enough to not sleep around or to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. We get to, outside of marriage, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And within the covenant of marriage, we get to bless our spouse with the gift of our bodies. You see, it's not just enough to not steal. That'd be dying to sin. Stop stealing. But the gospel goes further. It says we get to work, to earn for our families, and to give to others. Die to sins and live for righteousness. That's what the cross does. If we just stop with, well, freed from debt, we've only gotten about halfway there. Freed from debt so that we won't live in the hole. 
In fact, we'll be doing righteousness. That's what the cross is all about. That's what I told the teens on Thursday. If you think of the cross as a just get out of jail free card, you're missing so much. The cross frees us to live a new way. In fact, to live lives of love. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Healed. He's saying we're no longer sin sick. We're no longer diseased by sin. We're no longer under the curse. We are healed. His wounds have done it. His stripes, His bruises, His lashings. His beatings, the nails, His wounds have healed your sin. You are freed from debt to live free from more debt. And to live free to love. Isn't that great? What difference will that make for you today? This week? This month? This year? Do you feel free? Do you feel freed I remember one time that I realized I no longer had to sin. The sin I was dealing with at the time, and it's still in my life, was gluttony. I have what I call an extra plate addiction, right? One plate, that's fine. I need that other plate. I deserve that other plate, right? It's calling to me. I've got to eat it. I would eat the second plate before I'd even thought about it. And how did I feel? Well, I felt like... I can't stop. Nothing can stop this. No, the cross stops it. I no longer have to eat that second plate. Does that mean I'm not tempted? Does that mean I still do it? Yes. But I don't have to. I am freed from it. That The penalty of that sin is broken and the power of that sin is broken. I just have to appropriate it. I need to remember Jesus died for that sin. Not just so that it can be forgiven, but so that I'm empowered to not do it again. I will still sin because I have not yet arrived. I am not perfect yet. But the power of sin has been broken in my life. I don't have to sin. I'm free. And not just free from debt, but free to live for righteousness i'm actually free to make sure that my boys get what was going to be on my second plate because they need it more than i do they're growing boys i don't want to be a growing boy i have only two points today but they're both really big oh and i feed robin too in case you're worried most of the time because her diet she can't eat what's on my second plate i've only got two points this morning Have you got the first one? We are freed from debt to live free from more debt. I only have two points this morning, but they're both big. Here's the second one. For the second one, I want to take you to a whole other passage of Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 18. Would you turn there with me? Starting in verse 21. Matthew chapter 18. This is a story that Jesus told Peter. So it might have even been in his mind as he was writing 1 Peter 2. Peter had come to Jesus and asked Him, verse 21, Lord, how many times? 
How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You see where this is going. Peter wants to know what the limit is on forgiveness. And, and he suggests something pretty high. I mean, seven, right? The rabbis of this day had said that the magic number was three. Three times to forgive. So Peter is being generous here. He's, he's shooting for, a, well, seven's a perfect number, right? So, so Jesus, is it seven? Have you ever been sinned against seven times and had to forgive somebody seven times? It's hard to do, isn't it? Peter wants to know, is that as far as we have to go? Do we have to go that far? But, verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. And he doesn't mean that's the limit, right? He's pushing Peter. He's saying, it's again, and it's again, it's again. It's, it's as many times as you need to. And then he says, let me tell you a story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, that's, that's about $1 billion in today's money, Okay. That's millions and millions of bucks. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And we know that even that wouldn't have done it. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Can you imagine what that felt like? Bat-breaking debt, canceled. He gets up. He came loaded down with debt. He walks out the door a free man. Here's what Jesus says. Okay, Parables, right? You know you're going to get hit. All right? If you're just follow, tracking right along with the story, you know it's, Jesus is coming after you with this story. He says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's no small amount of money either. Okay? It's nothing like what, what the one servant owed the king, but this is a hundred days wages. What do you make at a hundred days? That's a considerable sum. Just for the, the sake of money today, let's say $14,000. He ran into this guy who owed him $14,000 and hadn't paid up. It's a real debt. This fool grabbed him and began to choke him Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient me with me and I will pay you back. Whoa, does that sound familiar? Hadn't he just been saying something similar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. Get him back here. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Here's number two. We are freed from debt. We are freed from debt to free others from their debt. I told you they were big. We are freed from debt to free others from their debts. Not just so that we can be free, but so that we can free other people. In other words, so that we could learn to forgive. Uh-oh, pastor's gone to Medlin now. Have you been sinned against? I know you have. Of course you have. Maybe not in major ways. But all of us have been sinned against in minor ways. And some of you in this room have been sinned against in terrible, terrible ways. And there's no excuse for them. But there is forgiveness. Because we have had our sin debt canceled, we can free others from their sin debt against us. We can be forgiving people. Now, I know that raises a lot of questions, and I can see them in your eyes. And I'm not going to answer them this morning. How's that for a promise? The best book I've ever read on the subject of forgiveness is called Unpacking Forgiveness by my friend Chris Bronze. I recommend it to you. He answers a lot of the tough questions that come along with the topic of forgiveness. For example, do you forgive somebody who has not yet repented? If they haven't asked for your forgiveness, do you still grant it? And the answer is both yes and no. Yes to a kind of forgiveness, the the kind that takes place in the heart. An attitudinal forgiveness or a, a readiness to forgive. A releasing of bitterness. But no. For forgiveness to to be fully actuated, there needs to be a measure of repentance first on the part of the offender. And there are a lot of other questions you might ask about forgiveness. But the main point I want to make today is the one Jesus is making here in His story. If you have been forgiven, then you will be forgiving. If you have experienced the canceling of your sin debt, then you will be ready to forgive the debt of others. Does that make sense? Do you see the logic in it? Do you feel it? So often we feel how others have sinned against us more than we feel how we have sinned against God. But that's totally backwards. You know, we have a hard time seeing our own sins. We feel the pain of being sinned against. But, but they, did, they, they, did this, they did that to me. Well, that's why Jesus tells this story. So we can understand just how audacious grace is and let it change our hearts to become gracious ourselves. Who's the king in this story? He's like the Lord, right? He's the stand-in for our Lord. And our sin is the millions, probably billions of dollars. Until you see your sin like that, you you don't get it. Jesus paid it all. We're the forgiven servant. So are we forgiving. When we are wronged, we are genuinely wronged. Jesus doesn't discount 
the sins against us at all. It's not like, oh, it's not that bad. No. Those 100 denarii are a real debt. When we are wronged, are we merciful to others? The ending of Jesus' story is scary, isn't it? This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We need to believe that. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus is not teaching that we can earn our forgiveness by being forgiving. That doesn't fit with all the rest of the things Jesus or His apostles teach. And He's also not teaching that we can lose our salvation by being unforgiving either. Jesus is teaching that grace changes us. And that if we are not changed, then we have not been graced. If we are not merciful, then we have not yet known mercy. We've got to go back to square one. If we have been freed from debt, then we are now able and expected and will free others from their debts against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or flip that around, we can forgive our debtors because we have been forgiven our debts. Is that hard to do? Oh yeah, it is. It is so hard to forgive people. But we are able. We have been wronged. We have been hurt. We have been cheated. We have every right to be angry. We have every right to demand satisfaction. We have every right to make them pay for what they did. But so did our Lord. So did our Heavenly Father. And that's not what He did. He sent Jesus to pay it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But I'm going to keep holding a grudge? I'm going to stay bitter? When Jesus did that for me? I'm going to demand satisfaction and make them pay? When Jesus paid it all. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is there somebody you need to forgive? I remember a few years ago I preached this. I preached on this verse and one of you took it to heart. And you forgave a friend that you had been estranged from for several years. And you th- then you came and told me the story. That relationship was perfectly restored. It's better now than it has ever been. I love it when I see the two of you together today because I know that it was hard to do. But it is so good to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Freed from debt. Because Jesus paid it all. So that now we are able to live free from making more debt. We can die to sins and live for righteousness. We are healed of our sin sickness. And free to free others from their debts against us. Even the most unjust ones. Isn't that wonderful? The gospel is so powerful, friends. Let's believe it and live out of its truth.